Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. We killed Soleimani. Now what? Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and you're a terrorist therapist. Well, yes, we killed Soleimani. Now what? We're in a state of waiting for the other shoe to drop, or you could call it waiting to exhale. Uh, we know that Iran attacked a U.S. base bases in Iraq, um, but is that all there is? And does Iraq, does Iran have too much pride and arrogance to leave it at that? I would say yes. Well, today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about um, the <laughs> little more details about Soleimani, uh, what happened, you know, there, of course, it was in the news a lot, but not really, but you know, it's interesting, what got into the news more than some of these details um, is people who were arguing about whether Trump did the right thing. Well, let me tell you, I will be telling you why Trump did do the right thing. Um, he took out, well, not just he not, he, not him personally, but he authorized taking out the world's most dangerous terrorist. I mean, we... Um, got rid of uh, other dangerous terrorists, and now he was currently the most dangerous terrorist. And a lot has happened since then. Um, but, you know, of course, what we heard most about was the partisanship. Should he, do, should he have done it? Shouldn't he have done it? Why did he do it now? Then, of course, Congress started, uh, the House anyway, started, you know, talking about uh, why we need to have presidents get our permission and so on. Anyhow, I'm certainly not going to talk more about that. It really is, um, it's really a distraction. But um, getting back to Soleimani and why he was the most ter dangerous terrorist in the world and why taking him out was the best thing that could have happened uh, in terms of keeping America safe. Um, he was all about, uh, urge, uh, he was, he's been called the architect of a campaign of conquest, expansion, terrorism and subjugation, all on behalf of Iran. And Netanyahu, Israeli Prime Minister uh, Netanyahu, has said, quote, that uh, Soleimani was, quote, taking the money not to help the people of Iran. He was taking the money to build colonies of Iran in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Gaza, and Yemen. And he was building these Shiite militia, militias, which he had put in Iranian commanders to command, and they were basically conquering the Middle East. That's what they were doing for Iran. And, um, well, you know, I mean, that's, uh, and Iran was really appreciating that because um, 
because it wasn't something being done just within Iran. He was, uh, Soleimani was actually carrying on Iran's fight against the rest of the world, the Middle East, and then of course the West. And Iran is the biggest um, supporter, uh, promoter of terrorism. And Netanyahu also said that Trump has faced up to Iran. He moved out of the dangerous Iran nuclear deal, which was like amazing. That was uh, Obama's horrendous um, deal. Um, you know, you can't make a deal with someone who lies to you. <laughs> I mean, that was, there were so many things that were wrong with that deal. And uh, the most fundamental thing, though, was that no matter what Iran said that they were going to do, you know, that they weren't going to um, build more nuclear weapons and so on, there was no reason to believe them. Um, and then after Soleimani's death, um, one thing that Iran did, of course, was to um, say that they no longer would abide by the deal. Uh, the limits of the 2015 nuclear deal. So, you know, I mean, that really is a non-issue because they weren't going to abide by it anyway. So let me tell you about um, Qasem Soleimani. Um, he was an Iranian major general in the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, and he was um, the commander of um, a force primarily responsible for, as I said, extraterritorial military and clandestine operations. He was the, most, he was the second most powerful person in Iran. And um, what's interesting, and I'll mention a little bit more about this, um, but what's interesting is that, you know, in the Middle East, one of the reasons why there, there is always um, trouble in the Middle East is because people are always changing alliances. Now, I'm not, I'm not um, taking the U.S. out of that, uh, you know, because as I'm just going to tell you. But I mean, you know, one minute uh, this this country and this country are friends, and the next minute uh, they're enemies and they're friends again. It's like girls. It's like girls in junior high school or high school, you know, you're going to be my friend. No, well, you're friends with this person, so I can't be friends with you. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but of course it's tragic because of the deaths, all the deaths that ensue. So following the September 11th um, terror attack on the U.S., uh, Iranian diplomats under the direction of Soleimani collaborated with the U.S. to fight the Taliban. So, you know, he was our friend at one time, but then after 9-11 and after they did work together, um, he then became very much not our friend and killed a lot of Americans and other innocent people. He was, Soleimani was popular among many Iranians. Um, they thought he was a hero, selfless hero, fighting Iran's enemies. But then others in Iran, considered him a murderer. Um, he was sanctioned by the United Nations and the European Union. He was designated as a terrorist by the US, of course. And he was assassinated in a targeted US drone strike on January 3rd, 2020 in Baghdad, uh, as you know. Now, um, he was born in Iran. He wor worked um, 
in after he finished school, he worked in construction to help repay his father's agricultural debts. He did weight training and karate in gyms. He attended sermons that spurred him to revolutionary activities. Um, so let me go back to the September 11th attacks. So the U U.S. Um, State Department, a U.S. State Department official met with Iranian diplomats after 9-11 who were under the direction of Soleimani with the purpose of collaborating to destroy the Taliban. And it did, in fact, help to define the, this collaboration, define the targets of bombing operations in Afghanistan, and it helped to capture key al-Qaeda operatives. But it ended, this collaboration ended in January 2002 when President George W. Bush named Iran as part of the axis of evil in his State of the Union address. You know, it's hard to know, so then what? So what, what happened first, the chicken or the egg? Um, let me, he also had a significant, I mean, this is another example of him, Soleimani, being on our side in a sense, even though this wasn't a collaborative thing, a formally collaborative thing, but he was fighting um, on behalf of Iran, he was fighting against ISIL in Iraq, ISIL and ISIS. Um, His, he, um, let me see, he left five children when he was killed, Soleimani did. And um, he, he was, you know, considered a calm presence. He was very, um, uh, he didn't, he didn't um, appear in official military clothing. He was, he was subdued. He was appreciated because he was subdued in part at the same time as he was the architect of all of these uh, killings. Um, when, in October 2019, so just a few months before he was killed, um, he was viewed favorably by 82% of Iranians and 59% of them viewed him very favorably. So his assassination took place on, as I mentioned, on January 3rd, 2020. It was by a U.S. drone strike near Baghdad International Airport. He had just left his plane. Um, his body was identified using a ring that he wore on his finger and DNA, there's DNA confirmation um, pending. Of course, he's <laughs> or, or, or already uh, received because he is buried. Um, and then also there were four other people um, killed with him in that same strike. Now, um, Trump, um, well, let me stop here and take a break and I'll finish, I'll talk a little bit more about Soleimani and his um, burials and, and the stampedes that took place and so on. And then I'm gonna go to the actual things that did happen in terms of retaliation and the things that are being thought of now as possible to happen. So stay tuned, you're listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist Welcome therapist. back to The Terrorist Therapist Show. Um, I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. We're talking today about, we killed Soleimani, now what? So um, I, I'm going sort of chronologically uh, from the time that we killed him. 
Um, and the Trump, President Trump, authorized the killing of Soleimani in June 2019. Um, you know, so several, like uh, six months or so before. And he wanted to make sure, you know, that he authorized this killing based upon um, being assured that um, Soleimani had been involved in the killing of any Americans. And um, this was backed by U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And in particular, uh, Trump was eager to kill him, to kill Soleimani, uh, after he saw a t television footage of an attack, the attack on the American embassy in Baghdad by uh, Iran-backed militia, which of course was under the auspices of Soleimani. And also um, there, um, there was also the death of an Iraqi American contractor in a rocket attack in December 2019. And that was also part of, you know, continued to be, to, to support his reason for attacking, killing Soleimani. And of course, because he had uh, intelligence information that Soleimani was plotting imminent attacks on Americans and he had to be targeted to stop the, those attacks. Now, that was of course what was in the, in the news so much. Oh, well, how imminent were these attacks? Um, well, you know, he wasn't, it wasn't only President Trump who said the attacks were imminent. The U.S. Defense Department said uh, that Soleimani had been planning further attacks on American diplomats and military personnel and had approved the attacks on the American embassy in Baghdad. Um, and that Soleimani had approved the attack on the American embassy in response to the U.S. airstrikes in Iraq and Syria on December 29th. Um, Oh wait, he, that's no. He approved. He approved the attacks on. It was well, the irony here, or maybe it's not irony. Maybe it's uh, you know specific. But um, Soleimani approved the attacks on the U.S. embassy, and it was the seeing television footage on the attack of the embassy in Baghdad, the American embassy, that was the final straw, basically, for Trump to authorize the killing of Soleimani. Um, now, <laughs> some interesting stuff about the funerals. I'm sure you probably saw pictures on television video of the various funeral processions and, and, um, and then the burial of Soleimani. So they had <laughs> went on for days. Uh, he was killed on the 3rd and he wasn't buried until the 7th. So there were lots of pomp and circumstances between uh, those dates. And um, first there was a funeral procession for him in Baghdad. Thousands of mourners waving Iraqi and militia, and militia flags, chanting, death to America, death to Israel. That was January 4th. January 5th, um, the remains of the bodies, presumably not just Soleimani's, but of course they were paying much more attention to him, um, that arrived, they arrived in Iran, and there were tens of thousands of mourners in black clothes attending the funeral procession in the streets with green, white, and red flags, and they too 
were calling for and for avenging their deaths and they were beating their chests, you know, death to America, death to Israel. And then January 6th, um, Soleimani arrived at the Iranian capital of Tehran. There were huge crowds, hundreds of thousands or millions, depending upon <laughs> who was counting. These people packed the streets. Uh, they were weeping, of course. And then um, the successor of Soleimani, who is Ismail Ghani, he um, was he was named the successor just hours after Soleimani's death, and he said, "God the Almighty has promised to get his revenge, and God is the main avenger." So um, then, on January seventh, so that was his body was going through the various cities, and on January seventh. Um, which was the burial procession. Um, it was attended again, thousands of mourners again, however many, you know, the, the numbers vary depending upon who was counting. But this stampede that took place killed 56 and injured 212 more. Here it is, you know, the burial procession for their, you know, for Soleimani and they're killing each other and injuring each other. And then, of course, on January 8th was the first uh, example of retaliation. And that was when um, Iran launched ballistic missiles at two U.S. bases in Iraq. And there were no reported deaths, but there were 64 traumatic brain injuries. Now, um, you know, at first it didn't seem like they were injured at all. But then it turned out, then it seemed like they had just headaches. And then it eventually came out, uh, came out. I mean, the people didn't re realize it. Some of the, uh, some of the American military didn't realize how injured they were. And eventually it was clear that at least up to now, there might be more that, that uh, find that they have this problem too, traumatic brain injury and the symptoms of that. Um, some people suggest that this strike on the two U.S. bases in Iraq was designed to avoid deaths, causing American deaths, because they knew that, uh, I mean, Trump had made it clear that if there were any American deaths, more would ha be happening to uh, Iran and its leaders. Um, but, you know, with all these people yelling death to, to America and so on, um, it's hard to believe that there's not going to be more. Now, getting back to how people are friends and then they're enemies and friends and enemies, and how confusing and, and deadly that is. Another example is that in 2015, the British magazine, The Week, had a cartoon of Soleimani in bed with Uncle Sam. And the point of it was to show, it was supposed to represent that both sides were fighting ISIS. Um, Although even by then, Soleimani had already killed hundreds of Americans, um, had led groups that killed hundreds of Americans. So, um, so now let me get to this January 8th, the first example of revenge. Um, there... As I said, it was, you know, at first it was felt that it wasn't going to be, that it wasn't really anything too serious. And then it was clearer that um, people had, uh, that people had um, 
had been affected. Actually, it was by because of the the impact of the bombs on the walls of the base, the the um, the reverberations that cause traumatic brain injury, and traumatic brain injury um, can have various degrees of impairment in thinking, memory, vision, hearing, and other mental functions. And then severe TBI can result in coma, amnesia, uh, or death. So it's not really, it's not just a headache, but, but it was not possible to know the extent of it right away. Now, then the next thing that happened, and this, you know, um, it was very curious, um, and it was hard to know whether it was another example of retaliation because it happened right after uh, it, what the episode or the incident of retaliation that Iran, um, no, the attack on, on the U.S. bases. But then right after that, as you will remember, um, there was the downing of Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752 with 176 people aboard, they all died. And it turned out, although Iran tried to, oh God, I could, it was so frustrating watching the news at that time because Iran was being so coy. Oh, we didn't do it. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, um, but it wasn't us. Uh, they tried to pretend that they didn't um, shoot the plane down which eventually they admitted that they did, but they are, their excuse is that they mistook it for a hostile target. It was an accident, a, mis a simple mistake. I'm sure the 176 people and their families um, are, will be very understanding of that. I mean, it's really, it trigger, it, basically it was Iran being trigger happy and expecting the U.S. to do more after they had, I mean, it's interesting, the timing is really interesting because it was right after Iran had attacked the U.S. bases and undoubtedly they were expecting the U.S. to attack them. And unfortunately, this Ukraine plane got in the crosshairs. Well, um, I'm gonna take another break. And um, we, when we come back, I'm gonna talk about some more things that did happen um, one more thing that we know ha for sure happened. And then there's something that, um, there's controversy over whether it happened or not, whether there was revenge, this was a revenge situation or not. And then last but not least, some possibility, some um, speculation as to where Iran will attack to get revenge. So stay tuned. Welcome back. We're talking today about how we, the U.S., killed Soleimani. Now what? And um, as I said at the beginning of the show, we're in this state of waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting to exhale, uh, waiting to see what Iran is going to do next in terms of revenge. And so, um, and I'm going sort of from the things that chronologically and also in terms of what things have happened already, what things are um, uh, controversial about, what may have happened, and then what is being thought of as, on speculation, as um, where the place of a next place of attack will be of Iran. So in terms of something that did happen, but we don't know exactly what's going to come of it, 
But um, Solomon's daughter, Solomani's daughter, uh, Zinab, Zainab, I'm not sure how you pronounce her name, um, was at, at Solomani's funeral. His daughter called on um, Hezbollah Secretary General Hassan Nasrallah, as well as rebel leader Abdel Malik Houthi and Syrian President Bashar Assad. She called these three people her uncles and she called on them at Soleimani's funeral to take revenge um, for her father's death. And then, since then, um, his daughter has met with Nasrallah and she took video of it. She tweeted her video. I mean, you know, this is, this is a woman <laughs> who's uh, with, with the times. Um, she tweeted a video of her meeting with Nasrallah and under the tweet uh, or under the uh, video, she wrote, the spider nests of America and Zionists will collapse. Da, da, da. So that's what she wants them to help her to collapse our, collapse our spider nests is what that is. Now, here's the thing that there are all different kinds of reports about this. Um, the this is about whether or not a CIA, um, a man who is, is or was um, an officer, he's an, Michael Dandrea, uh, he, Dandrea, he is the, an officer in the Central Intelligence, in the CIA. Uh, I, it's, I'll say is on the, to be optimistic about this. Um, he was, he was very influential in a number of different things. You know, a lot of his work was important with the CIA. Uh, he was a major figure in the search for Osama bin Laden and as well um, as well as a lot of American drone strikes. And interestingly, um, he was raised in Northern Virginia and he met his wife while he was working overseas with the CIA and he converted to Islam in order to marry her. His wife, whose name Farida, is the daughter of a wealthy Muslim family. And, um, you know, it's interesting that he, he marries a Muslim woman and he's in the CIA. And you would think that you, you would wonder about conflicts of interest, but apparently he's been doing a really good job. Um, now, the, con the controversy is whether or not he is still alive, because according to some reports, uh, notably influenced by Iran, you know, mostly the, the Iranian media and Iranian propaganda, they are saying that the CIA chief behind Soleimani's assassination was killed in a downed plane in Afghanistan. So um, Iran and Russian intelligence so sources also have said that he... Um, you know, since he, that Michael D'Andrea, um, orca who orchestrated the assassination of Soleimani, you know, sort of an eye for an eye, that he was killed in a U.S. spy plane that was brought down in Afghanistan. It was a plane with U.S. Air Force markings. And, um, you know, they, 
he was he was known to be he was very prominent um and he was known to be very more aggressive than uh other people had been in the CIA and um but the the Taliban the Taliban claimed that they shot down the plane in Afghanistan but they haven't provided really um you know positive evidence really uh sufficient proof that um this CIA uh, head was in the plane. Um, the U.S. has denied the plane. They deny that he was in the plane. They do. The U.S. does acknowledge the loss of this plane. It was a Bombardier E-11A uh, in Afghanistan. And I mean, there are pictures of the plane crash. Um, so there, there was a plane that did crash, an American plane but who was in it is still kind of uh, not clear. And, um, and there's a question about whether uh, the Afghan, um, you know, there was a question whether, whether Afghan um, could, wh whether, whether the Taliban could have brought down a plane like this. They, the Taliban has brought down helicopters but it's questionable as to whether they have the capabilities needed to bring down a plane like this one. Um, so therefore it's been speculated that Iran may have had something to do with it, the Islamic Revolutionary Guards. You know, again, obviously they would want to kill the person who killed Suleimani. Um, let me see. Um, okay, so what that's so Iran and Russia are saying that yes, the plane came was brought down, and um, da, da, Michael D'Andrea was on it. The U.S. is saying that um, no CIA personnel died on this plane. Um, they are, they confirmed the U.S. confirmed that the bodies of two Americans have been recovered but we are denying so far, or the U.S. official is denying so far that it was someone from the CIA. And, um, and I guess that's pretty much, oh, <laughs> no, this is interesting. Um, uh, Iranian state TV broadcast a photograph of a Hollywood star, Frederick Laney, and he was the, the man who played a CIA operative in the movie Zero Dark Thirty. And um, so Iranian uh, TV claimed, tried to pass off this actor who played D'Andrea in this movie um, as, as D'Andrea. D'Andrea, I'm sorry, I keep changing how I pronounce it. But you know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Um, so, so that that's this controversy and this question is still a question today. Um, I mean, I wish the CIA agent would like pop up somewhere, do a radio interview, and um, show that he is alive. But I guess maybe it's a good cover for him if um, Iran believes that he is dead, that he was killed. So now let me tell you about the speculation of what will happen next. Um, 
where, where if, if Iran is going to get revenge, if they are going to do more to get revenge, um, where will that be? And now there is speculation that it's not going to be in the usual, the usual targets, uh, like New York City, um, but that it's going to be South America. And um, I mean, obviously it can be in more than one place, but you probably never thought of it. Certainly I never thought of it as being in South America, except for the fact that I have, if you look at an earlier um, podcast, if you listen to an earlier podcast where I talk about the border immigration and why we need a border wall and so on, I talked about how some terrorists have already crossed the border and um, that we know of, I mean, names and, and places and all of that. It is already known that some terrorists have crossed the border and, and some of them have been caught. So, so, and with people coming, it's not just Mexico that people are coming from south of the border. They, as you know, are coming from uh, other countries going into Mexico and then crossing the border or trying to. So, um, in, in fact, Iran has been already setting up, not just since the death of Soleimani, but for years. They have already been um, setting up um, a criminal network in South America. They've been setting up cells in South America. You know, the media has been focusing on Israel or Africa or Europe or, of course, the U.S. as possible areas, possible targets for Iran's revenge. But um, there is also a likelihood that um, it could come from South America. Particularly, um, Iran chose this area between Brazil, Argentina, and Paraguay, or including those countries which are relatively lawless. Um, they have, Iran has chosen that area as a particularly um, useful or a good one for um, to set up Hezbollah, uh, up Hezbollah operations. And so the, these uh, cells may well become activated in South America and then not only, uh, you know, perpetrate attacks in South America, but come across the border to America. Um, and then also because this has been done relatively surreptitiously, you know, all of these cells growing in South America. Um, if something happens, like if there's an attack in these countries in South America, Iran can try to pretend, um, just like they tried to do with the uh, plane, the Ukrainian plane, they can try to pretend that it wasn't them. <laughs> um, and it, this, um, with the idea of, um, or the knowledge that Iran and Hezbollah has been creating uh, terrorist cells in South America was fairly recently, it fairly came to, to the attention of the international community fairly recently. Um, in 1992, there was the bombing of the Jewish Center in Buenos Aires. No, in, there was, in 1992, there was the bombing of the Israeli embassy. And in um, 1994, there was the bombing of the Jewish Center and uh, in, in Buenos Aires. So there has been you know, some awareness, but, but South America is not usually the place that you think about for where there's going to be a terror attack. 
So, uh, and also, of course, now Venezuela is a very, a very likely um, place for the cells to start becoming active. Uh, Venezuela is a close ally of Iran, particularly under anti-American president, anti-American Venezuelan president Nicolas Maduro. Uh, he, he, there are active cells there and um, the Iranians are affecting, you know, can, can come into action, be put into action at relatively quickly. So that's another place to think about as a possible target of Iran's revenge. So I'm not telling you all to run under your covers as usual. Uh, I am telling you to um, really, to really continue or start a program of um, getting yourself more, be becoming more resilient, getting yourself stronger physically and psychologically, because the the stress, um, not just of the attacks, but of listening to the news about. Uh, you know, like programs like this. No, listening to the news about, uh, you know, the uh, murder of Soleimani or, or the potential for revenge. I mean, we all kind of know that there's this potential for revenge because Iran is a very prideful nation and um, do not want to be won down to America. Well, thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.